Well, today on this third Sunday of Advent, we're taking up the psalm reading again, which is a something out of Isaiah today, Isaiah chapter 12. And we'll be looking at this short uh, chapter in its totality. It's just eight verses. And it comes on the back end of... Uh, prophecies, you know, passages, when you look up, when you look up Isaiah and Advent sermons or these kind of things, you'll find much from Isaiah's, you know, 7, 8, 9, you know, 10 and 11. Uh, 12 kind of gets short shrift, but 12 is the song, if you will, the hymn that Isaiah and the Lord through Isaiah is saying they're going to sing when these kinds of things all take place, the wonderful prophecies about the rod from the shoot of Jesse and the virgin that gives birth to a child and the one who will come and be called Emmanuel and the one who will have the government on his shoulders. And when those things take place, <clears throat> we come to chapter 12 and you just see the way it begins. And in that day, you will say, so this is that, this is that response of God's people that is anticipated when that day comes. Let me read the text and then I want us to jump in and I want us to think about that day. And then I want us to think about what Isaiah calls us to do that day, because remember, in a very real sense, we are living in that day. That day has come, and it is still yet to come. So what happens on that day? And then finally, why is that day so great? Uh, So that's the three angles we'll take on this text. But uh, page 614, Isaiah chapter 12. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Well, I want us to think about that day. Let's start there, because twice in this text, twice in this psalm, if you will, we're, we we have reference uh, for us pointing to that day. What is that day? Well, if we jump back and we we won't track through the prophecies that have um, that have been given to us in the, the past chapters, but even if you just jump over right on the same page to Isaiah eleven, uh, verse ten and eleven, you know, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall be as a banner to the people. The Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. So that's the immediate context of the reference to that day. And so when we start in chapter 12 and it says, in that day you will say, it's that day that he's referring to. The context is flowing. 
and it is a day of deliverance. And it's a day in which the the audience of Isaiah prophetically would be longing for because of the context. And here, again, I think this is helpful to remind ourselves what the context of Advent is. And in this case, we're stepping into Old Testament Advent, right? The Old Testament spirit was a spirit of Advent, a longing for the coming, right? A longing, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, that that amazing uh, Advent hymn takes up the spirit of Advent with its minor key. It has a sense of longing. The very tune itself picks up the spirit, the summary spirit, if you will, of the Old Testament. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Come, O come, Emmanuel. And the longing comes from the fact that Israel is in trouble. Israel's in a bad place in the spirit of Advent. Now, we know that if we go back and look in the stories of the Old Testament, it's kind of a wave. You know, it's like there are times in which they have high moments. You know, they they come in and they conquer the land. You know, uh, there's wonderful things. But there's also very low moments, times of enslavement, times of wandering in the wilderness and dying out there. Um, There are times of, you know, the cycles of the judges, good times and bad times and good times and bad times and the time of David and then David collapses and Solomon and Solomon collapses and then. I mean, this is the story of Israel. But by the time you get to the prophets, the prophets are telling us about a bad time. Israel would not heed the message of the prophets calling her to repent. Think about our Old Testament reading today from Zephaniah chapter 3. You can see how the end of that chapter fits with all the other lectionary readings. We read the entire chapter. And in the beginning of that chapter, the Lord, through the prophet Zephaniah, is going on about how Israel would not heed the word of the Lord. They had polluted their own land. They had given the nations reason to blaspheme God. And God had had enough of it. And God was sending them out into exile. And God was going to come in fiery judgment. And he was going to purge the land. And he does. And he does it through the Assyrians, and he does it through the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Throughout Israel's history, he takes them out because of their idolatry, rips them from their homes, destroys the temple, destroys Jerusalem, and scatters the people among the nations in judgment. That is the context out of which Isaiah starts talking about a day. A day that is going to come and bring restoration. Where Israel is now scattered from their homes, out in a foreign land where nobody is honoring God, longing for the day when they will come home and find the temple at the center of their lives and be surrounded again by the praise, or what should have been, the praise of God in their midst. And they have nothing like that now. Going back into the prophecies before chapter 12, and we've referenced this before, when uh, Isaiah says that from the stump of Jesse a shoot will come up, that image is so powerful in the imagination because Israel was like a great and mighty forest to the Lord. What, what What a picture of vitality and life and glory. That's what Israel was meant to be, this forest of robust 
trees. But instead, she polluted herself and would not be what God meant her to be. And so the Lord came with the buzzsaw of judgment and he mowed the forest down and sent the logs off to the nations. And when you look back at what was intended to be a mighty forest of Israel, you would look and you saw nothing but desolation and nothing but a field and fields and more fields of stumps. And so when Isaiah says, but from this one particular stump will come a shoot, a sign of life. From all the dark and grays and browns of all these stumps around us, one little shoot of green will come up from a stump. When you see that image in your head, you get a sense of Advent. Among all the desolation, the day will come, he says, when a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And he says, again, looking back into the chapter before this, and I'm doing this because I want us to feel the reason why you're going to sing, the reason why Isaiah 12 is there and he says you're going to sing and you're going to shout is because of this context. And the day, in that day, there will be from the root of Jesse one who will stand as a banner, right? This little shoot is going to go and it's going to be a banner for the people. The Gentiles will seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again a second time to recover the remnant from Israel, from Assyria and from Egypt. He's going to go bring them home. He's going to bring them home and he's going to, he's going to reestablish them again as a mighty forest that's going to be regrown and born out of this shoot. The context of Advent is trouble. It's judgment. It's darkness. It's exile. It's curse. And Israel's exile was a picture, was it not? It was like a, it was a microcosm of the grand story. Israel's exile is not unique. Israel's exile is a retelling. It's a, it's a redemonstration of the grand story where in Adam, all mankind was exiled from the garden. All mankind was exiled from God and Israel's. We just get to watch the instant replay, right? We get to see it from another angle. We get to see it in the story, in the history, drawn out now over time. The people of God get to watch it. And it looks so obvious when we see it there. It's like, you idiots, repent. But we, like they, would not. And we now live in that exile. Not the exile of the people Israel, but the exile that their exile demonstrated. That's why we can sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and mean it ourselves because we feel that. We're living in Babylon. We feel that longing. Don't you want to go home? Don't, don't when, you, when you hear the words of Isaiah, when he says in Isaiah 11, I believe, is it 11? That the day is coming when the knowledge of God will cover the world like the waters cover the sea. Like don't, doesn't your heart sing when he hears that? Like, can you imagine the day when the knowledge of the glory 
of God covers the entire earth the way that the waters cover the sea. So deep and so full and so thorough. And that will be the way the glory of God covers the earth. Right? I mean, don't you long for that? I mean, that's the, that's the feeling. That's the context out of which this Advent longing comes. It's why we take time to reflect on these things at this time of year, to remind ourselves about that day. On that day, you will say, O Lord, I will praise you, though you were angry with me. Right? Again, there's the context of Advent. I know you were angry with me. And you say, you cut down the forest. You sent us out into the nations. You judged us. Lord, we had to deal with all the trouble and the affliction of this life that we, by our own rebellion, brought on ourselves. Israel is in Babylon because of Israel. We have to deal with the afflictions of this age because of us. We brought this on ourselves. We would not heed the word of the Lord. Lord, I know you were angry, but your anger is turned away and you comfort me. That's what we're going to say on that day. Now, what is that day? That day of the Lord. Mark uh, said, he referenced it twice. It hit him (laughs) in the reading of not only the Old Testament from Zephaniah where you get it, but then again, right in John the Baptist, it's like, is this a good day or a bad day? Because, man, Lord, the way you're describing this day, it's kind of making me tremble here. And think about our reading last week from Malachi chapter 3. Oh, yeah, he's going to come. But when he comes, who can possibly stand that day? Wait, is this a good, is this a day I should be longing for or is this a day I should be dreading and hoping never comes? Like you read the prophets sometimes, you're like, I'm not sure. (laughs) Because you're saying he's coming with fire. And the Zephaniah passage as well. The John the Baptist passage as well. Oh, John the Baptist says, hey, I baptize you with water. But the one coming after me whose bootstraps I can't, you know, sandal straps I can't even do and undo, he's going to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. The winnowing fork is in his hand. He's separating wheat and chaff, and the chaff will burn, burn with unquenchable fire. What day... Are we talking about here? The day of his coming. And when he comes, who will stand? And the answer is none. Unless he makes us stand. Unless he enables us to stand. Unless he clothes us so that we may stand. We're talking about the day of the coming of Yahweh. When Yahweh comes to be with his people and to redeem them and to set things right, we know that the day we're ultimately talking about is the day of his second coming. That is the day that's being spoken of here. It's the day we long for. It's the day when all these things are finally, in a consummate way, finished. The day is the day of his coming, his second coming. So why deal with this? Why are we dealing with this at Christmas then? Why not have a season of the year where we just talk about the second coming? Why are we taking all this time to bring all this heaviness into Christmas? Why, what in the world are we doing with Christmas celebrations where we're talking about fire and judgment? (laughs) 
That just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't fit with the American, you know, sort of the Americana Christmas. And Americana Christmas is fun. I'm no, I'm no opponent of that. But the reason why we're talking about that now in the Christmas season, because Christmas is that second coming, coming early. It's the second coming, coming in advance. Jesus' coming is the coming of Yahweh to his people. And who can stand the day of his coming? Well, the good news of his first coming is no one but he has to deal with it. He has come in advance to take the great and awful day of the Lord upon himself. So that when the day comes upon us, we can stand. We can stand. Christmas is the day, and yet it's the day focused in on him. He stands in the place of his people. That's why he cuts the line, if you will, and has John baptize him. And John doesn't want to do it. Why are you doing this? No, no, no. I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. This is a baptism of repentance. If there's anyone doesn't need to get in that water, it's you. And Jesus says, John, it's got to be done. Let me in there. Because John, Jesus is going into the water to take the repentance, to repent on behalf of his people. He's the one who's going to face the winnowing fork. He's the one who's going to face the axe at the root of the tree. He's the one that's going to face the fire. That's why he later says to John and to James when they ask, hey, when you go to your throne, can we sit at your right and left hand? Jesus says in a very mysterious response, are you prepared to be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? This is on his way to Jerusalem. Because Jesus is about to be baptized with the fire that John warned of. Jesus himself will take it. Jesus is going to experience that day. And he's going to suffer it so that we on that day may sing. He's going to drink the cup of wrath so that on that day we drink the cup of blessing. Right, that's, that's, he's going to take the death. He's going to take the exile so that on that day we get the restoration. That's the day that we're talking about when all these prophecies, Isaiah 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, all these things are fulfilled so beautifully. That's the day. A day out of which judgment, judgment turns to blessing. When the shoot from the root of Jesse will come. Well, what are we going to do then? He kind of gives us these three things on what were, you know, what will be the result. On that day, verse two, behold, you're gonna, you're gonna see, you're going to behold that God is your salvation. Lord, I know you were angry, but behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. There's the link. You can hear this to the link to the Philippians 4, right? Be anxious for nothing. That was our New Testament reading and word of exhortation today. And and here Isaiah is saying, yeah, that be anxious for nothing and always rejoicing is what flows out of a person who knows about the day. Who knows that they're standing on the other side of that day. And that's us. Christ has taken that day for us so that we are those, that's why Paul can say in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. 
rejoice. And again, I tell you, rejoice. Because we have seen that God is our salvation. We need not be afraid for Yah, the Lord, is our strength and our song and has become our salvation. So the first result is we get to see and that's what we do here in Advent for us because we're not in the same Advent that the Old Testament saints were because something definitive has happened. We have seen. Behold, brothers and sisters, look, God was angry with us, rightfully so. But behold, look what he has done. Yah himself has literally become our salvation. Not a metaphorical, oh, you've done a great deed for us. No, you literally have become our salvation. You literally stood in our place. You literally bore the fire of the judgment we deserve. You literally have delivered us from sin and death. Behold. The second thing you get to do, and very much related, and from which I titled the sermon because I love the metaphor, Verse 3, therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. What a beautiful image. With joy, you now, the, the, the wells of salvation, which, if you will, were covered up to you. you. You did not have access to them. Nor could you, because God was angry with you. Rightfully so. And the wells, the deep refreshing wells of salvation were covered for you. But because Yah has come and is your salvation, the lid is taken off and now you with joy, not with trepidation, not with fear about that day, but with deep and abiding joy may draw deeply from the wells of salvation. You may come and drink. It has been opened to you. Think in the think in the Old Testament when uh, in in Exodus when Israel is delivered. You got those two water images right at the beginning. They cross the Red Sea. They get to the other side of the Red Sea and they have no water. There's water right there, but it, they can't access it. It's bitter. It's undrinkable. Right. And what does the Lord do? He tells Moses, "Take this tree, of all things." When you hear trees in the Bible, you should. You know, trees are important in the Bible. And you take this tree and you throw it in the water. The Lord has these amazing, unique, creative ways of dealing with things. But somehow this tree is going to affect the water such that this undrinkable water, the water that you had no access to, because this tree has done its work, the water that was previously undrinkable to you now becomes a source of living water to you. And then they go a little further. And once again, they're without water. But there's a rock there. And there, believe it or not, we, you don't know this at the front side. But there is a fountain of living water inside that rock. It's just closed off to you. It's closed off to you. You have no idea that inside that rock is just a fountain of living water. But it's, it's closed off to you. And there they are, whining and grumbling. And Moses is getting angry. And the Lord tells Moses, come over here. Come over here in front of the people and do this thing. I'm going to stand on the rock and you strike the rock. Wait, Lord, with you on it? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to stand on the rock. 
And I want you with the same staff that you used to split the Red Sea, I want you to strike the rock. The people should be struck. They're grumbling and whining and complaining and accusing. But no, rather than striking them, I'm going to stand here and I want you, frankly, to strike me while I'm on the rock. Strike me. Watch what happens. And lo and behold, the rock opens. <laughs> and, and from the rock, this, this fountain, this well of salvation, if you will, is there for the people now to just come and drink from. These two beautiful water images, both which, both which, if we have eyes to see it, draw us back to the cross, the tree that makes undrinkable water drinkable, and the one God, Yah himself, who stands and is struck so that water is made available to us. These two beautiful images. And here Isaiah while maybe not directly referencing those, or maybe he is, but it's where my mind goes, takes up that same image and says, hey, God has delivered you. And on that day, now the rock opens up. The bitter water becomes drinkable. The well is available to you. Drink, drink, drink from this. So we're going to see and we're going to drink. And then thirdly, we're going not only to praise, but we are going to call people to praise because notice in verse four and in that day you will say notice it doesn't say in that day you will praise the lord though they will of course that's what they're doing up above but on that day you're going to say praise the lord call upon his name declare his deeds among the peoples make mention that his name is exalted sing to the lord for he has done excellent things this is known in all the earth cry out shout out O inhabitant of zion the day is going to come when not only are we going to praise, but we are going to call the nations to praise. And Jesus summons us to this after he endures that day. In the Great Commission, he says, Now all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them and telling them all that I've commanded you. That is, now go to the nations and tell them, praise the Lord. Sing praise to our God, for he has done excellent things. Go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, telling them the excellent things that Yah has done for you, for he himself has become your salvation. You're not only going to sing and shout, you're going to go tell others to sing and shout. And the church has been doing this for 2,000 years, going forth into the nations and telling them, to sing and to shout, and by God's grace, he is calling people from every race and every tribe and every tongue to him, and they are shouting and singing and declaring his excellent deeds and his praise. Now, I conclude with this, why the day is so great, and it comes in just in the end of verse 8, but of course, but of course, I'm going to link this to, to verse 2 as well. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust him for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. And then down in verse 8, cry and shout, O inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. That is to say, this is why the day, the fruit of the day is so great, because the Holy One of Israel is in our midst right in the first pages of the story in ex in in genesis 3 adam and we in adam are exiled 
and the angel with the flaming sword is placed between us and God. No entrance. You have no right to God. You have no direct access to God. And as you know, later when God, he, do, he condescends to dwell with his people, but there's still this separation. But God is in their midst, in the tabernacle, in the temple. But even there, only the priest can go inside. Only the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies. There's a big veil with a cherubim woven into it. Moses meets with God on Mount Sinai, but if you dare touch the mountain, you will die. But all of these things pointing forward to the day when God would dwell with his people and the veil would be gone. Access would be full. So when we hear the author of Hebrews say, therefore come boldly into God's throne room of grace, we hear the fulfillment of this word. The Holy One of Israel is dwelling in our midst. He with us and we with him. The exile is over. We've come home. And when Jesus comes to dwell with his people, this is, if you will, the first fruits of the fulfillment of this promise. And we know because we've studied Revelation together, the glorious picture at the end. When we get this visionary picture of the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem descending from heaven. And there it says there will be no temple. For God and the Lamb will dwell with them. That is, the whole thing is a temple now. And God will dwell with his people in their midst. That is the picture. That's the vision of where we're going when we get home. And we, brothers and sisters, have the first fruits of that, the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, abiding with us. That is, the day has come and it is yet to come. But the day has come. So let us sing. Let us drink and let us call the nations to behold the greatness of our God for our God has become our salvation and he, the Holy One of Israel, is the one who dwells with his people. May we be like David in Psalm 23 who says, boy, once I've tasted this, behold, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. This is what I long for. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that has come for us and to us in and through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. For you, through him, have become our salvation. You have torn down the barriers that were between us. You bore the flaming sword of the angel of judgment for the sins of your people so that we might enter back into your holy presence and dwell in your midst. Oh, Father, we give you thanks and praise, for we know that on that day, who can stand? Certainly no one outside of Christ, but we are not outside of Christ, for you have placed us in Christ, the one who has borne our judgment so that we may dwell for all eternity with you. We sing in praise to your name, and we call the nations to do so as well. Strengthen us, guard us again from worry and anxiety, Help us to live as if indeed these things are true. We ask this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Let's stand and confess our faith together.